Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking about strong faith this morning. And our first text will be Romans chapter 4. You know the text, but we'll read them together. It's important to read them. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who believed. He believed even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith. Notice that statement. Being not weak in faith. Is it possible to be weak in faith? Sure it is. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was what? Strong in faith. Everybody say strong faith. Strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Now in the natural we know we all have certain strengths. Some academically, some physically, some vocally. And the list goes on and on. For example, physically, uh, you ever see strongman competition? Anybody here think you can pull a semi-tractor trailer? With a rope, or how about an airplane? Did you ever see some of those things that those guys do? Strong men. Notice they're strong physically. They're strong. Certain things they can do. Financially, a person could be strong. Financially, able to do a lot of different things that people can't do if they're not financially strong. So we understand that. But here it says that he was strong in what? Faith. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And because he was strong in faith, he was able to receive the promise of God. But you and I have been made many promises in the Bible. In Christ, we have many promises, so much so that we're called the heirs of promise. But you know what it takes to receive those promises? Not weak faith, strong faith. And why does it take strong faith? I'll tell you why. Because there's giants living in the land of our inheritance. And the giants want to keep us out of our inheritance. Those giants of worry, anxiety, fear, the giants that we face every single day, inadequacies, Guilt, condemnation, being lethargic in spirit, as well as compromising. Those are the giants that keep us out of the promised land. And they'll rise up to come against us, to stop us from experiencing what God has already provided for us in Christ. And so it takes strong faith for us to grab a hold of the things that God has provided for us. Now some might say, well, but didn't Jesus say just the grain of faith is the grain of mustard seed, meaning small faith? That does not mean small faith, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So, just real quick, a review on faith's importance so that you can understand why I really hit hard and heavy on the subject of faith. So let's quickly, we're not going to go through all these scriptures, I'm just going to shout them out to you, take them home, study for yourself. One is sanctified by faith, Acts 26, 18. We please God by faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6. We receive the Spirit by faith, Galatians three fourteen. We live by faith, Romans 1, 17. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We're justified by faith, Romans 5, 1. We're saved by faith, through, through faith, uh, quench, Ephesians 2, 8, quench darts, Ephesians 6, that's Satan's darts, 16. We stand in faith, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. We preach, Paul preached the word of faith, Romans 10, 8. We're established in the faith, Colossians 2, 7. We fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6, 12. 
We receive the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls, 1 Peter 1, 9. We resist the devil by faith, 1 Peter 5, 9. What's not of faith is sin. Think about that, Romans 14, 23. According to our faith, it'll be to us, Rome, uh, Matthew 9, 29. We inherit the promises of God through faith, Hebrews 6, 12. We receive everything from God by faith, James 1, 6, and 7. We all have faith, Romans 12, 3, the measure of faith. The gospel doesn't profit us without faith being mixed with it, Hebrews 4, 2. And we receive miracles by faith, and we overcome the world by faith. Uh, Galatians 3, 5, miracles are wrought by faith, not by hearing of the law. And also we overcome the world, 1 John 5, 4. And there are many, many other references in the Bible with regard to faith. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything else we should be preaching about? All those things are a matter of faith. And so how important is faith? It's extremely important. Now, it's also important for us to know that Abraham did not start out in strong faith. I want us all to hear this. Why? So that we are not under guilt and condemnation. And we realize and recognize that we need to locate where our faith is at. And then grow our faith from point A to point B. If there's no faith, it can grow to little faith. It can grow to strong faith or great faith and perfect faith. But because so many have been taught, it's just a, oh, it takes a little bit of faith. That's not what Jesus taught. And again, we'll get to that in just a moment. Abraham went from not believing that Sarah could have a child. Remember he laughed at God. What? Do you know how old we are? Do you know how old we are? You think I'm going to change a diaper? Two, knowing she would have a child, right? And then to what? That God would have to raise that, raise that child from the dead if he offered it as a sacrifice. So he went from this point where he couldn't even believe that she could have a child to believing that God would raise that child from the dead. And that's called from little faith to strong faith. And actually it went to perfect faith in his life. So think about that. No matter where we're at, we may start small. But if we stay with it, our faith can grow. And our faith will grow exceedingly. Second Thessalonians tells us our faith can grow. So he grew his faith. Now, Jesus taught no faith, little faith, great faith. He taught that. And as a result, we place ourselves in a position where we recognize Look, I may not be able to believe for something that's way beyond my faith right now. But you know what? I've got a goal in mind. I'm going to stay with it and stay with it and stay with it. See, Abraham, what he did was he tried to help God out. You recall the story? When he had a Ishmael, when he had Ishmael with Hagar? Because you see, as time went on, he lost focus of his faith. So he was challenged along the way in his faith as well. And he got to a place that he acted out in the flesh. You've never acted out in the flesh. Right? Never. And what happened? They had a child by the works of the flesh. Ishmael. But God said, no, no, no. It's Sarah that will have the child. From her loins, from your loins, you're going to bring forth this child. That's a child of promise. That's the faith child of the spirit, not of the flesh. Well, faith can increase. His faith increased. And when he got things corrected, he believed it's going to happen. God gave him a visual. The stars in the sky, the sand along the seashore, the dust that's in the air, there's going to be your offspring. And every time he had the opportunity to doubt, what did he do? Just look up, man. That's what God said. You know what? I just believe it. 
He wanted him, us to know and wanted him to know it's not about what you can do, it's about what he can do. All you have to do is the believing part. You believe the, what God can do. And you declare what God can do. You visualize what God can do. And just say, you know what? I just side with you. That's faith. I side with you. Look at Luke 17, verse 5, 5 and 6. 5 and 6, these two verses, faith can grow. Faith can be increased in a person's life. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They had a revelation of their need to have increased faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted a seed and it should obey you or it'll obey your faith. Now, there are those that say, well, see, all it takes is a, is a little mustard seed. But did you know that mustard seeds are pure seed? There's no admixture of anything else within it. He's talking about pure faith, not small faith, pure faith. And you're going to see that in a moment. It takes pure faith, no doubt, no unbelief. I believe God. That pure faith will bring into manifestation the things that God has provided for us. But our faith can increase. And it's got to grow. So, how strong can our, our, our faith get? Well, Jesus said, if you speak to a mountain, it would obey your faith. There he said, if you speak to a tree, it will obey your faith. Jesus himself spoke to a fig tree, it obeyed his faith. He spoke to the wind, the waves, and the sea, and they obeyed his faith. He spoke to a fish, and they all jumped into a net. They obeyed his faith. He spoke to another fish, and that fish brought money. He knew how to bring money from nowhere. The bottom of the sea, a fish knew where it was at. The fish went fishing, right? And brought it to Jesus. Think about that. Okay. He spoke to a dead body. Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? His body that was dead and lifeless obeyed his faith. I don't know if you can handle this one. It's hard for us to swallow, I know that. But in Matthew 17, verse 20, he said these words. After saying, you can speak to your mountain, it will obey you. He says, and nothing will be impossible unto you. If you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, it'll come to pass, then nothing will be impossible to you. But you've got to believe in your heart that what you're saying with your mouth will come to pass. That is the law of faith. That's what Jesus taught. And we're not anywhere near being perfected in that kind of law of faith. Why is this important? Once again, it can bring in your finances. Once again, it can bring you a job. Once again, it can help in your marriage. Once again, it can help your body, your physical body to recover from sickness and disease. Once again, it can help us all enter into our promised land and experiencing the, experience the blessings that he has provided for us, all the promises that he's provided for us. It is all made a reality by our faith. According unto your faith, so be it unto you. Do we see the value and the importance of developing a strong faith life? Can we see that? Appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> little faith isn't enough. Look at Matthew 14, verse 31. Little faith is not enough. No. Here, immediately Jesus, when they're out there in the, in the boat, you know that he's walking on the water, stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And wait a minute. I thought little faith can get the job done. No, little faith got the job started. Got him walking on the water. But little faith didn't consummate the miracle. You see, the strength that we need is the strength to stand on the water 
and face all the challenges that will come against our faith, knowing that we're operating in faith, to distract us from the word that produced our faith, to get us to get away from faith, to abort the faith project. And we all go through the same kind of challenges. We need to start in faith. We need to stay in faith. And we need to finish in faith so it consummates the miracle. The easiest thing in the world is to begin the process. Right? I believe I received my miracle. Then starts the doubt and the unbelief bombarding our minds. Satan painting an image of defeat and failure. And we all go through like Peter did walking on the water. That stage of our faith in its operation. The wind, the waves, the sea. Of the voices that are out there coming against us saying you can't do this. You can't do that. That's never going to happen. It's impossible. Look what's going on and all that. And so what happens is. We're walking on the water by our faith that we initiated. But then all of a sudden we have all these thoughts coming against us. And we're distracted. Get our eyes off and begin to sink. Is that not what Jesus taught? And when he got him on a boat. What did he say to him? Oh ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? Well you know all these circumstances out here are pretty scary Lord. Aren't we all in the same boat? Or should I say aren't we all out of the same boat? Walking on the water by faith, but then challenged around every corner to make us think, we're lunatics. Faith people are crazy. They're doing all this believing that God's going to intervene. Well, hold on tight. It's up to us to recognize this walk of faith and how it really works. And then do our part to grow our faith to a place where we can rise up above those challenges until the faith project is consummated. And that's for all of us, myself included. Now, how do we increase our faith? This is the key here. How can I, as an individual, increase my faith? Number one, I've got to feed it the right diet. I've got to feed it the right diet. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by some of the words that proceeded out of the mouth of God. How many of the words? All the words that proceed from the mouth of God. But notice 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Here Peter is speaking, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may what? Grow. What helps us grow? What grows our faith? The milk of the word, then the meat of the word. We graduate from the milk to the meat of the word. There's a similarity between uh, physical growth, natural growth, and spiritual growth. We desire the milk of the word so that we can grow thereby to get to the place where we can operate in the meat of the word and experience great things from a great and mighty God. But it starts here. Emotionalism is not enough to get us to grow in our faith. Why is it that so many people are seemingly paralyzed when it comes to their faith life, especially in, even in churches like this here? I'll be honest with you. The enemy has come, a, come across in such a way so as to make us think that if we just come to church and we have emotionalism, then we're growing in our faith. That's not true. Emotionalism will never grow a person's faith. You may be inspired, but it will not grow your faith. I can get us to get emotional right now. Somebody say amen. Somebody say hallelujah. Who's the real Superman? What's his name? Is he? Is he your Superman? Praise God. Is he your superhero? We could just shout and praise and shout and do all that and get all emotional and excited. But you know what? When your feet hits the ground... There must be a foundation under it. 
We must have a right working knowledge of the word of God and understand the truth of God's word for us to operate in so that we can, as the scripture says, live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Emotionalism is not enough. We must believe every word that proceeds from the mouth of Almighty God. But what word must we hear? Not tradition, not religion that's basically been thrown our way. You know, we've been criticized for being some kind of a cult. Why? Because we teach what the scriptures teach about the impossibility becoming possible for us as we act upon the word of God and declare it to be true. And don't just sit back religiously and say whatever happens, happens to us in life. No, we rise up and we start telling people, praise God. Look, you want something that God's provided for you? Look in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 12. What does it say? That's, that shouldn't be. Oh, let's start right here. Look at Matthew 11 and verse 12 first. What does it say? And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent sit back and relax and kick back and just say whatsoever will be, will be. You know, you, you know how life is. What's ever going to happen, going to happen. Just sit back and let it happen. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to believe. There's nothing we can do about the situation because you see, God orchestrates life. Everything that happens in life is orchestrated by God from beginning to end. Don't buy that lie that came straight from the pit of hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. He taught us in Matthew 16 verse 19. Look at, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what's he saying? What we prohibit will be prohibited, but we permit will be permitted. God has given us the keys to the operation of the kingdom of God. He's given us the right to use the authority of the name of Jesus. But you know what? Have we grown to the place that we understand our authority and we can rise up and take the name of Jesus and enforce Satan's defeat and receive the miracles or the provision of the promises of God? And you start teaching that and people, once again, they, they say you're crazy. Well, you know what? I'd rather be a crazy believer in Jesus and the Word of God than anything else. Now, we have to admit that we haven't done our part like we should. And why? Here's why. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, in Revelation, I was referring to, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimony. The Word of our testimony has to align itself with what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. And if we'll get a hold of what the Bible teaches along that line and put it within our hearts and within our mouths, then praise God, we will overcome by that blood and the word of our testimony. But it's up to us to do our part. Brothers, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. This is from the English Standard Version. But as people of the flesh, of the flesh as, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. For you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul is telling these Corinthian believers that you are still operating in the flesh. Your flesh is controlling your lives. As long as there are jealousies among you, strife among you, and that sort of thing, he said, your flesh is dominating you. And beloved, we all have flesh to contend with. We all have flesh to deal with. And we've got an enemy who knows our weaknesses, who wants to come against us and paint a picture of defeat and an image of defeat in our lives to show us what we can't do. 
while God's word is trying to teach us what we can do, the enemy is sowing seeds into our hearts and minds about what we can't do. You see, God's word provides a seed for every need that we have. But the enemy sows bad seeds. Seeds that produce strife. Seeds that produce envy. Seeds that produce division. And causing conflict among people. Whether it be in marriages. In families. In church bodies. Where you work or whatever. And he's not concerned about whether or not it's a co-worker of yours. A family member of yours or whoever it is. As long as he can get you on the inside. Wrapped up in strife, envy, uh, unbelief, fear, worry, anxiety. As long as he can sow those seeds. Seeds of what? Seeds of doubt. Seeds of division. Seeds of strife. Seeds of envy. Seeds that choke out the word of God. As long as he can do that. He's satisfied because he knows he's got your faith paralyzed. We can't afford to walk in strife. We can't afford to walk in anxiety and fear. God wants us to walk in love. God wants us to walk by faith. So it's important that we recognize we've got to protect our hearts with all diligence because out of it comes the issues of life. So if we find ourselves caught up in strife, Look at, as a believer, if you're just overwhelmed and overcome by strife, jealousy, envy, and unforgiveness and all that sort of thing, Satan has you exactly where he wants you. You can't afford to be angry with somebody, and neither can I. It'll paralyze your faith. It'll paralyze my faith. And that's why he wants you in unforgiveness. That's why he wants marriages to be destroyed. That's why he wants husbands and wives to be bickering with each other. Why? Because he knows he's got you exactly where he wants you. You're no threat to his kingdom until you start walking by faith. And when you and I start living by faith, then you become a threat to his kingdom. You see, he's got his emissaries out there working for him to keep your loved one bound and stopping them from coming to Christ. But the moment you and I recognize his tactics and strategies, we start sowing seeds into our hearts and protect them, keep them there so that patiently they will produce fruit. Remember Jesus talked about sowing the seed, the service sows the seed? And he said, first comes what? The blade? Then the ear, then the full corn in the ear, and then it's delivered. That's how the procedure works. So we start small, but we continue the process and keep it in the ground until we start producing faith. Like, get your hands off my child. I call my child from the land of the enemy to his own borders where he will serve the living God faithfully. And the enemy comes along and just says, you don't really think that's going to happen. No, I don't think. I know. I know. You know why? Because I'm confident in whom. I'm fully persuaded like Abraham was that what God promised he's able to perform. Oh, you don't really think you're going to get that miracle, do you? Oh, I absolutely don't think so. I know so. I know I've already received it because you know why? I receive by faith from God what he's provided for me. And so as far as I'm concerned, when you start telling me that I'm not going to get it, I know I already have it because you're the father of all liars. I'm not buying your lie any longer. When, when you, you say, I believe I received my healing and the devil comes along and just says, you're not going to be healed. You're not don't buy the lie. I already believe I received my healing because of the stripes of Jesus. As far as I'm concerned, I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm whole. Look at the ne- next thing. Not only do we have to have the right diet. Did you know that Twinkies and cupcakes don't produce abs? I should say washboard abs. I would give you a, a visual illustration of that, but I had a few pumpkin pie for dessert. And I'm gonna, so... Now, maybe Dante can show you what a washboard ab looks like, but uh, 
Mine are a little bit covered. <laughs> but you get my point. The right diet. You've got to have a right diet of the word of God. Because the word works. Okay. But then we have to exercise. We have to exercise our faith. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Look what it says. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And you become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Sometimes I walk into the wine. What are you exercising today? I'm doing upper body. I'm doing biceps. I'm doing benches. I want to build my chest up. I never heard anyone say I'm exercising my senses. Not one time. Their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. What's he talking about? Our five physical senses basically are against what God's word teaches. We can't walk by sight. Our five physical senses are really, they're there to help but navigate us through life. But very often they lie to us. They say it's impossible, but God says it's possible. So we need to exercise our senses. You know what they tell me? Your senses will tell you, you better be angry with that person. You better be upset and unforgiving. You know what you better say? I refuse to do it. But you feel like you want, don't you feel like you can't stand that person? Oh, I may feel like it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to exercise my senses and tell my senses what to do and not my senses tell me what to do. So if you tell me not to give a dollar to that person, guess what, senses? I'm going to give five. If you say to hold back and be stingy, guess what? I'm going to be more charitable. If you say to not forgive that person, guess what? I'm going to not just forgive them. I'm going to give them a blessing as well along the way. Why? I am training my senses not to be in control of my life. I live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So we've got to train our senses. Our senses say, I hurt. Well, let the weak say, I am strong. You hurt. I am strong. You hurt. I am strong. You talk about vacillating. James says you're going to receive anything from the Lord if you vacillate between two things. Your body says one thing, but your spirit says another The word says another, so we're going back and forth, back and forth. We need to train our senses. Here's what uh, David said, Psalm 133. He said, I need to be weaned from my emotions like a child is weaned from its mother. So when I want to feel so anxious, the feeling is really there. But guess what? It's time to rise up and just say anxiety. I'm speaking to you. Mountain of anxiety, I am speaking to you. What are you doing when you do that? You're training your senses not to be in control of your life. I'll never get the money. Oh, you know what? Let me read this first and then I'm going to give you this testimony. Look at James chapter 1 verses 22 to 25. And I'm going to close here with the testimony of George Mueller. But be doers of the word not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. You know how easy that is to do? I look in the scriptures and it says you're more than a conqueror to him that loves you. And I walk through life and I go hit with this, hit with that. Coming from every direction and then where you at? Gee, I don't feel like more than a conqueror right now. Once again, I don't feel like it. I need to train my senses and tell them you will not control my life. Whether it's jealousy, envy, division, strife, fear, worry, anxiety, 
uh, murmuring, complaining, and that sort of thing. When our senses try to rise up and tell us what to do, it's up to us to train them and say like you would a child, no, I am not going down that path. I will walk in love because faith works by love. Amen. Okay. Now, George Mueller, faith grows. He, how many know who George Mueller is? One, two, three. A few of you do. Well, he was an individual who at one point said it took all the faith that he had to believe God for a dollar for his orphanage. But then by the time of so many years later, he said, I could believe him for a million dollars like I could believe him for one dollar to run his orphanage. And so he was a mighty prayer warrior. He was a mighty man of faith. And he believed God that God would do this for him. But I want to share with you, first of all, a testimony. And then I want to share with you how his faith grew. Okay, so listen. The children, he had his orphanage, are dressed and ready for school. But there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children. By the way, they're coming over next week for your Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. That's 300 children. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide for for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, Last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and baked three batches of bread for you. And I'm going to bring it right in. They're sitting around the table with nothing on their plates. Where are we going to get the food, she says. He said, just have them sit down. God will give it to them. Okay, listen. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart broke down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the will was fixed. So he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough to feed or to to satisfy 300 thirsty children. Now, when you hear that, you just go, wow. To be in that position that God would supernaturally provide for you that food, the bread and the milk, it's an amazing thing. Not to be full of worry, anxiety, or anything like that. He trained himself. But listen to this. This is what we have to see. He wasn't always there. Listen to his testimony. Who was George Mueller? George Mueller was not always a person of such great faith and good character. As a young boy growing up in Germany in the early 1800s, he often stole money from his dad. As a teenager, he sneaked out of a hotel twice without paying for the room. One time he was caught by police and put in jail. As a Bible college student, George loved going into bars, drinking, gambling, and being the life of the party. He also loved making fun of people, especially Christians. One day, a friend invited George to go to an off-campus Bible study. He went only because he wanted to make fun of the Christians later. But to his surprise, he liked the Bible study. For the first time, he saw people who really knew and loved God. He attended each evening. Before the end of the week, he knelt at his bed and asked God to forgive his sins. One day, a friend invited George to go to an off-campus Bible study, so he went only because, once again, he wanted to make these Christ- fun of these, these Christians. So, for the first time, he saw people who really loved God. His friend saw a change, and immediately, he no longer went to bars or made fun of people. He spent more time reading his Bible, talking about God, and going to church, and listen to this, soon, 
he found that his friends didn't want to be around him anymore. The friends that invited him to go to the Bible study didn't want to be around him anymore. You know why? He wasn't just a hearer of the word. He became a doer of the word. And when he stopped going to the bars, he stopped at this, he stopped all that stuff he was doing before. All of a sudden, he wasn't appealing to them any longer. Think about that. So when George told his father, next step, that he had decided to become a missionary, his father became very upset. He wanted George to have a high paying job and not be a poor missionary. He told George that he would not give him any more money for school. George knew he had to do what God was calling him to do, even if his dad would not support him any longer. So George went back to college without knowing how he was going to pay his tuition. But then he did something he thought was a bit silly for a grown man to do. He got on his knees. He asked God to provide. To his surprise, an hour later, a professor knocked on his door. He offered George a paid tutoring job. George was amazed. And this was the beginning of George Mueller's dependence on God. So here we have someone who starts with not even li liking Christianity or Christians, finally giving his heart to Jesus, being rejected by his friends, being rejected by his father, getting on his knees and just being totally dependent on God. And he starts with an orphanage that he said, I could hardly believe a dollar for. But from that point on, in his own words, I find myself years later, I can believe for one million dollars as I did to believe for one many years before. You see, his faith grew exceedingly. Why? Because he completely threw himself into the things of God. And that's what God is speaking to our hearts today. If you say, I've been speaking to my mountain, it didn't go, you know what? Listen to what God is saying. Stop saying that. Mountain, I told you to go you can't stay. Cancer, I told you to die, dry up by the root and leave my body. You can't stay. Infection, I'm speaking to you in the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority of his name, you can't stay. Whatever's interfering with my marriage, I'm talking to you right now. I'm speaking to you in the name of Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. You cannot stay. Start somewhere. Start small. Start with a tie a scarf. Like one fellow said, I started with a pair of socks. I believe God for a pair of socks. Once I got the pair of socks, then I believed him for a suit. I got the suit. You know, one time when I first came here as pastor 39 years ago, I was in my little office and I just got on my knees before God. It was just about winter time. I came in August and this was just about the first winter. Got on my knees and I just said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not asking you for money. I'm asking you for snow tires. All my tires are bald. I'm not, and listen, I'm, I want to know my faith's working. I'm not asking you for the money to buy the tires. I'm asking you for snow tires. And I believe I receive snow tires. Anybody ever ask for snow tires? I, I never heard anybody asking for snow tires before, but I thought, whatever you need, whenever you desire. I was just, I guess, gullible or whatever. I don't know. So I believe I received snow tires. It was in a Sunday night service, right before the service. And I got on my knees. I believe I received, oh, thank you for the snow tires. Thank you for the snow tires. That sounds like you're weird, huh? Thank you for the snow tires. 
They think Christians are crazy. Well, if you really walk in faith, you are crazy, it seems like to them, because you're going against the grain, right? I believe I receive snow tires. I believe I receive snow tires. I believe I receive snow tires. Next day, Mondays are your day off, usually, sometimes. <laughs> Typically, but not. Anyhow, I get a phone call. Now, this is weird. I get a phone call. Uh, you may think this is kind of crazy of me, but brother, are you believing God for snow tires? Uh, yeah, why do you ask? I don't know. God spoke to me and said, not to give you money, but to give you snow tires. That'll make you scratch your head, right? I said, I don't doubt it. <laughs> it's what I asked him for. Be specific. I believe I received snow tires. Let's all stand together.